Welcome to the Monkey House. It's me here in the year 2024. And I'm about to be in Sydney and Brisbane. Sydney from the 8th to the 12th of May. Brisbane from the 16th to the 19th of May doing my show, Drier Drier, at the respective comedy festivals in those cities. But I'm also, uh, while I'm up there, I figured I had a couple of days to kill. So I'm doing a Who Knew It with Matt Stewart on Monday, the 13th of May at the Chippendale Hotel and in Brisbane at Good Chat Comedy on the 14th of May. And you can get tickets for all of that. Now, go to mattstewartcomedy.com for the links. mattstewartcomedy.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to Primates, the podcast where we go through primates and popular culture from chimpanzee all the way to chimpanzee. This week, my primate, my very special guest, is Mr. Dave Warnicky. Welcome to the show, Mr. Dave. Hello, thank you so much for having me as one of your prime mates. <laughs> it's so nice to have you here. Of course, some listeners may know that we do another podcast together we have for about almost three years now called Do Go On. I know, we needed another excuse to hang out together in the studio. I reckon the vast majority of the time I, I hang out with you is uh, with a mic in front of my face. Yeah, definitely. It's a bit like um, Kardashians. The camera is always rolling. Yeah. Uh-huh. But in that show, it's almost not, not always rolling because I'm sure it's very scripted. As very, yeah, it, it has that vibe. Uh, the bit I saw of it about five years ago. Would it have been going that long? Oh, definitely. I think it's been going, it'll be close to 10 years or something. 10 years. So basically on that show, I get suspicious when someone's being filmed and then they make a call and then it cuts to like their mum that they're ringing and it just happens to be her on the- Answering them. Like they have nine camera crews for every family member in case they answer a phone call. Any documentary where they'll they'll have the camera, someone, oh, we're going to go see this, if someone's at this house, they'll knock on the door and then they'll have the reverse shot of them opening the door from inside. Like, well, that- that's kind of ruined that, that illusion, know, hasn't that, it? It can't have happened. Idiots, or you're treating us like idiots. <laughs> yeah, or they actually have <laughs> several cameras. Yeah, just well, maybe Kardashians could have such a wild budget that it's just it's all go. No, I imagine it's fa- it's fake. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. We're uh, we're talking about this week, um, obviously another classic primate episode in the history of popular culture. Which uh, which episode have you chosen here today? We've decided to go with my all-time favourite TV show, The Simpsons, and their episode from Season 7, A Fish Called Selma, which our listeners may remember if they are as big a Simpsons fans as us, the one where Troy McClure is the main character in the episode and he marries Marge's sister, Selma Bouvier, to try and aid his uh, fledgling career because he's been shoved into obscurity because of rumours about his sex life. Yes, that's right. And they, they never fully spell it out, but no, it's he's something a, it's aquarium related. Yeah, that's right. They keep implying that he has sex with fish. 
It's a romantic... What does he say? Because it's not a... A romantic abnormality. <laughs> and he goes on a... He wants to... Anyway. He's about to bring it out. Which I was... When I was reading about this episode, one of the things I read was it's... Um, you know how they have many pop culture references throughout the show. That is a reference to the rumours... Have you ever heard about Richard Gere's rumour? No. Oh, yeah. Gerbling? Gerb... I've never heard that before. Yeah. And then that, I was on Snopes and Snopes had debunked it. Yeah, that feels very debunkable. Yeah, yeah. So basically, if, if you also are not, are not familiar with it, Richard Gere, possibly, there was, well, there was a rumour. I say possibly. There was a rumour. He de- definitely didn't do this. Uh, used to uh, shove gerbils up his ass for sexual pleasure. Yeah, that, that definitely went around at high school. Real oh, That was a rumour. Because this is, when did this, this episode came out, The Simpsons? 96. So it would have been before this. Right, yeah. So I, it obviously lasted a while because, uh, yeah, I reckon I would have heard about that a few years after this, so it, it persisted. But I don't think all that many school kids are talking about Richard Gere anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Whoa, who's Richard Gere? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, the gerbling thing, fine. But yeah. Who's Richard Gere? I want a pretty woman get into his car. This this is in uh, season seven, just before the famous sort of falling off a cliff of quality of that the Simpsons went through. No, I really like it up until about season ten. Right. Okay. But I reckon eight. They say the first still. eight is like amazing. Well, I reckon from two to eight. Two to eight. Yeah. Season one's finding its feet, but yeah. still some good stuff. And then two to eight is the golden age. It's so funny because we we just rewatched that episode together. And how many jokes are there in there? It's ram-packed. Every, uh, every little sign, every little bit, there's just something happening. Yeah, it was amazing. A lot of them I, I didn't pick up. It was handy to have you here annotating the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you'll find here is... <laughs> just pause, pause for a moment and uh, let me talk you through this scene. It took us a, it was about four and a half hours to get through the episode. Yeah, it's amazing. I once thought about making a YouTube video where you explain every joke for The Simpsons. So wow. every 10 seconds it cuts to me in the studio and I'm like, so what's happening here is? <laughs> I reckon there'd, there'd be so many I miss. I reckon there's plenty of jokes in The Simpsons, especially when I was a kid, but even probably now where I'm, I'm laughing. I know why it, it probably is funny, but there'll be a, a little element of it that I'm having to fill in a blank because I don't get a reference or whatever. Sure, sure. But I, reckon, I love as you get older and you're ex- exposed to more stuff, you start getting... More yes. and more and more, Pick which more is up. the beauty of the show. Because when I was seven years old, I was getting none of this, but and I was still, still loving, it. loving it. Yeah, still would have told you it's a very funny show. So it works on many levels. We should get to the crux of why we're talking about this episode, though. Yes, Troy the, McClure, so this is the first episode where he's really playing a key role in a Simpsons episode. Yeah, I think in- before that he'd just been uh, hi, I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from and like you know doing mainly. Sort of instructional videos. This is a, this is the first episode where he actually met the Simpsons. Before this, he'd only been yeah seen or heard through yeah, other right. me, other mediums media. So uh, we find that he's a uh, he was big in the seventies. He's fallen out of favor with and a lot to do with his um, shadowy private life. And you know ever, that seems to be it. in this world the the gerbil style rumor is a lot more prevalent. Than yeah, in, for sure. I don't but, think it ruined Richard Gere's no, career. No. <laughs> Well, I've never even heard <laughs> the of it. The kids in Melbourne were going, hey, you heard that guy from Mothman Prophecies is <laughs> putting things up his butt? Good on him. Is what a lot of, that was the consensus around our schoolyard. Definitely. You're very... Uh, Gerbling, eh? Forward thinking. Yeah. Started a real craze around our schoolyard. <laughs> we had gerbil races. And then the teacher comes in, but Richard Gere did it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, he is a big star. <laughs> he's, he's a heartthrob. So... To rev- accidentally somewhat, uh, he ends up meeting Selma Bouvier, Marge's wa- uh, right. sister. 
at the uh, DMV, I think that's what they call yeah, it. Yeah, Department of Motor Vehicles, I'm yeah. guessing. And uh, they end up going on a date um, because he, he owed her a favour. It was sort of seen that way. A photo's taken and the media are loving it. They're like, wow, it's yeah. Troy McClure with a human. Yeah, so there's three paparazzis that just happen to take photos of them. And now he's back in the limelight and his agent, played by Jeff Goldblum in this episode. And that was a cool... So uh, he, he found him this role in... Planet of the Apes musical, and which was called Dave. Um, Stop the Planet. Stop the Planet of the Apes. I want to get off. Which is very, very funny. Obviously, I don't have to tell you that. No, dear listener. I didn't realize you're laughing hard right now. I didn't realize that that was a reference to. This is one of those things where I don't get the reference when I read it. I go, oh, very clever. Um, A musical from the sixties called Stop the World. I want to get (laughs) off, which is so bad. It's fun. I I disagree. I'd call that fun. Um, but yeah, so there's a few. So Phil Hartman as Troy McClure and uh, Jeff Goldblum as as the agent. But you were telling me a fun fact just before that the episode initially ran quite long. Yeah. So initially the episode ran 28 minutes, which is I think something about like six minutes too long. Right. A lot. A lot long. Yeah. Basically because Selma and Troy McClure are the two main characters, and they both have very slow speaking styles. So what they did was they realized that this was a problem. So they got Jeff Goldblum to revoice his character because no one had ever heard him talk before, but make him speak a lot quicker. So the character's the voice. Char- People had heard Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, no, yeah. Until this point, Jeff Goldblum had only played mimes. Yeah, and he Fuck. did it extremely well. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so they got him to re- revoice it. And apparently they had to also cut a scene, Troy's bachelor party. Ah. Would have enjoyed that. Yeah. Is that? Oh, hopefully that exists somewhere. I imagine yeah, I it suppose- probably does. On a DVD extra or something. Never come across it, but anyway, we maybe we'll let's hear a little bit of the uh, the Planet of the Apes musical now, starring Troy McClure as the human. The role he was born to play. <laughs> Help! The human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! <gasps> he can talk. 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 I can sing. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. I can say sing along with that, basically. Yeah, without having seen it for quite a while. You can still remember the tune. Yeah. I think it is definitely the best ever song on The Simpsons. There, and there are some good ones. There, there are, are plenty good of good ones. ones. Um, Monorail, one of my favourites. Obviously a classic one there. I was um, reading a little bit about on this, uh, there's this article on Vulture talking about um, the background of this episode. It's a, an interview and there's... Um, Sorry, I'm opening a drink bottle here. That's a bit of a squeak. A primate, <laughs> if you will. Primate squeak. You know, that classic primate squeak. Oh, I've forgotten. We always start the episode, and maybe I've remembered to do this one time, with the question, Dave, what is your favourite primate? Either specifically or or, or species-wise. Well, I actually, my favourite is one I didn't even realise was a primate. I've gone with the lemur. 
Oh, the lemur. Did you know the lemur was a primate? Uh, you said mate, that? I'm I'm a casual expert. Okay, of course. In recent times, since I loved the movie Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Is there lemurs in that? There are no lemurs in that, but that is when I really started to shallow dive oh. into the world of primates. And you belly flopped the whole way. Yeah, big time. A lot of surface area, very red belly, but bloody hell I got. Worth it. I got monkey and ape knowledge coming out my paws. Which is, a, I think, uh, you might find some of those um, primates have in place of hands. Oh. Might be a different... Po- I might be confusing two <laughs> kinds of paws there. Yes, it's definitely... <clears throat> pardon me, definitely a homophone. A homophone. Thank you. Yes, but uh, no, I love, love a lemur. Found only in Madagascar. Ah. Do they feature in the film Madagascar? I'm sure there's one. Surely. That's, I haven't seen... I, saw, I actually saw Madagascar at the movies, I think. You paid 20 plus dollars for that? I don't know if movies cost that much back then. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I because I have this early memory of lemurs when I went to the zoo. When I was in early prim- primary school, and the zookeeper told us so you couldn't get that close to the lemurs because they were on like an island at this zoo because they were so good at escaping. They had to put them on on this lemur island because they're afraid of water. Right. So that kept them in. So that's kind of a sad fact looking back because they're oh, sort of surrounded by water, point. but I thought it was quite good. They were, you know, if you remember the movie Madagascar, just looked it up, that whole, there, there's a kingdom there. They were lemurs, including uh, one by, played, the king played by Sasha Baron Cohen, um, his advisor played by Cedric the Entertainer. Oh, yeah. Andy Richter was a lemur. That's an all-star cast of lemurs. Looking at an article with a photo of David Schwimmer. Who was he? Uh, David Schwimmer played a sad <laughs> animal. <laughs> Seriously? I assume, yeah. All I right. mean, it was David Schwimmer. Was played, okay. He played the David Schwimmer version of a, it. was either a zebra or a... Uh, no, he was Melman, the giraffe, uh, who was a hypochondriac giraffe. Melman. Very David Schwimmer. Very, yeah. He swimmed the shit out of it. He's not afraid of swimming. He swims right to the bottom of the ape. Pool. I don't mind. I don't. What's well, the second time we've already um, had a, a friends episode with uh, Alistair Trombley Birchill came on and we talked about an the ape? episode where Ross got a monkey. Oh wow! Yeah, is it called Marcel? Was it was it, was it problematic that episode? I know a lot of a lot of no, episodes I, are now. I was yeah. That that has become that's something that has been started to be talked about a lot lately. Is Friends has an age super well, but that episode I don't think had too. M- Many problematic things. And it was an early one too. It was season one. So, yeah, I was bracing for it. I was ready to go. The uh, I, I was, But I have been reading this uh, this article on Vulture. It's an interview with some of the key players in the in this episode. And I thought maybe I'd, I'd read a few little quotes out here for you, Dave. Oh, please. Um, so Bill Oakley, who took over as showrunner for season seven and eight, and th- this episode's from season seven, I found this really cool. He was saying that pretty before Star Wars, Planet of the Apes, when he was a kid, that was that was the big Star War- that was the big sci-fi movie that the kids loved until Star Wars came along, obviously, and then eventually Planet of the Apes started to have this sort of a bit of a kitschy sort of vibe about it. People would look back with some nostalgia, but it would it would normally be a bit of a jokey sort of thing. Obviously now very legit with the Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes. Sure, sure. Have you seen the original one? I have. I I have seen it. I saw it back in high school. Um, but that, that's got to come up uh, in, a, in an episode soon. Sure, I think it's the only one I've seen of any Planet of the Apes. Well, you've got to watch that new trilogy, the reboot trilogy. It's very good. 
I saw the Tim Burton one as well back in the day, and I don't remember because I was quite young when I saw it. I I didn't realize how silly it was, but at the end, apparently there was pressure. We'll probably do it at some point and talk about it more, but. Apparently there was pressure for there to be a big twist like in the initial one, a big reveal at the end. Oh, right. Okay, sure. And their big reveal was that when he went back to Earth or something like that, it was a planet of the apes, only it it had like a sort of splice history with our history of the world. So there was like a monkey Abraham Lincoln statue (laughs) is what he saw. It's like, what? The, you know, the big... Uh, yeah, sitting in the... Sitting in that chair, big concrete yeah. chair. Yeah, only it was monument. him only... He looked almost exactly the same, only he was some sort of a primate. And that was the twist. That was the big twist at the end. And it, that Damn made, you! <laughs> that movie, it did not... It was not well loved. That no, I, th- I honestly, when you told me that you loved the new Planet of the Apes films, I think my gauge of them was that film. Right. Which I hadn't even seen, but I remember that being... Like laughed at, and so, then when you started loving it, I was like, "Matt's loving this." Yeah, right. Well, the first, the initial C, uh, series spawned so many sequels and prequels and and spinoffs and all that sort of stuff, and then this new series has as well. But that one is on a little island by itself. Yeah, sure. The Tim it's Burton a, one. It's that, a lima. Yeah, it's a little Trapped lima on the island. Uh, played by Sashin, Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was interested in saying that that it, so people did love it. Um, and he said, uh, at the time, before the Tim Burton remake and the prequels, it had this camp classic status. Uh, all the lines like, take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape, which they <laughs> reuse in, in the musical version. So he says that they occupied a rare place in pop culture, which I love that, right? But I love this even more. Josh Weinstein, who was a writer and producer of The Simpsons at this time, he was also a co-showrunner. Uh, this is what he said. He said... I'll tell you something. I didn't see Planet of the Apes until like five years ago. And this is an in- a recent interview. So he's he hadn't seen Planet of the Apes. And he's <laughs> okay. show running this episode that is doing one of the most famous parody or spoofs or whatever you'd call it. You think this. you'd get him a copy of the film? Yeah, like just you'd go home quick... one night and be like, all right, I'm going to get a copy of the film, get the reference. And then tomorrow when we come to the meeting, I'll know what everyone's joking about. I guess what you got to remember is that uh, this was a different time. Uh, this was in the 90s. Uh, this was a pre-9-11 world. Right. You course. couldn't just download this movie. No. I don't know what 9-11 yeah, has 9/11 to do with that technology. But back then that didn't exist, right? So just remember that. Okay, I'll remember that and I withdraw what I was saying. Please. Do you think this guy could have just... You're, you're picturing him... Sitting on his laptop at night going, wish there was something to watch. It wasn't like that. He would have had to have driven past a video store on the way home. Exactly. Hoped they had a copy. He was basically making bread after work to try and feed himself. Exactly. It was a different time. I'm sure this showrunner was a peasant of Hollywood. He said, I knew I only knew the whole thing from the parody in Mad Magazine. So he's sort of, he's picking it up from references in other things. But yeah, when when he wrote it, he hadn't seen it. Which is so good. because He just knew the ending. Because for me, The Simpsons is that. There's so many pop culture things that I've never seen and I kind of get the gist of them because of The Simpsons referencing them. Yes. I love it. Any examples? Oh, I'm trying to think of... Oh, um, I've never seen the Kubrick film 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes. But they reference that a lot. Many, many episodes. Anytime there's sort of any sci-fi sort of elements going on, a reference there. They're obviously big fans. Yeah, and it's a very influential film, and I'm a bit ashamed to say I haven't seen it. But maybe I don't have to because The Simpsons already covered it. 
I'm pretty sure the Planet of the Apes, this Planet of the Apes is the first Planet of the Apes that I'd seen as well. Yeah, I definitely would have seen this before I saw the but Charlton Heston. It, interestingly, this wasn't the first Planet of the Apes reference on The Simpsons. There had been many before and there have been a few since as well. Like in season five, a di- couple of different episodes had one um, in episode number 85 called Rosebud. At the end of the episode, Mr. Burns. Oh, that's the one with his uh, his bear, Bobo. Yes, that's right. And in the end, his, um, he's shown in a futuristic setting where apes control the world and have enslaved human beings, uh, among them clone, clones of Homer. This is from the Simpsons wiki, Planet of the Apes page. Well, uh, let's go on. Uh, episode 96, during a NASA pre-mission press conference, <laughs> Homer says he hopes they won't send him... <laughs> to the dreaded planet of the apes. <laughs> Then he realizes the plot twist somehow <laughs> yeah. as he's saying it, I think. Wait a minute. Statue of Liberty. <laughs> that was our planet. <laughs> you blew it up. And then they have to say, this press conference is over. <laughs> so he reenacts it. He's just slamming his fist in front of all these press <laughs> Wait a minute. Statue of Liberty. <laughs> that was our planet. There was, a, there was an itchy and scratchy episode in season six called Planet of the Aches. Oh, that's good. It's good fun. And it in it, it was sort of a, a mini parody of Planet of the Apes. Oh, what's that from Bard of Darkness? That's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, that's Bard of Darkness. Where he breaks his leg. Yes, the Jimmy Stewart. Um, yeah, rear window one. Yeah. Man, they... I like... These are all... Every episode is just like plowed with references. Yeah. Like the one we're talking about now, it, it begins with a, a Muppets... Yeah, that's right. Troy McClure is like Same. in a Muppets, Muppets movie, sort of um, getting on with Miss Piggy and then he has to fight Kermit. <laughs> they ask what a Muppet is. It's like a mix between a mop. It's not quite a mop. <laughs> not it's quite not quite a, a puppet. puppet. <laughs> Answer your question. I don't know. I think this is something already says. Anyway, so there's heaps. There's heaps of these up until uh, season 29, which I, I don't know this I one. definitely would not have seen that. Restroom of the Apes is a reference to Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, what's one just above this? Simpson Safari episode, uh, season 12. One of the pictures in Joan Bushwell's serious research books is from Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's right. That's when um, Monkey Diamond Mine that they discover. And it's like a, a parody of Diane Fossey and that other monkey expert. Do you know the other monkey expert? It's very, very famous. I can't remember. From life. From real life, yeah. So there's, I know the gorilla one from like Gorillas in the Mist. What's, is that who you Yeah, that's Diane Fossey. But there's oh, that's another one. Fossey, really? There's another one who's still alive. Um, and anyway, they discover that she's just gone crazy and she's been using the monkeys as um, diamonds. That is Diane Fossey. Who am I? I'm thinking of the other one as well. Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall, that's right. There's a parody of her. That's right. And they go through her journal and she's just got pictures of, of monkeys from pop culture. That's all her research has ever been. <laughs> that's very good. Anyway, uh, back to the Planet of the Apes musical. Well, th- this is something I found really fascinating as well uh, from this same Vulture interview. I don't, and I'd be I'd be interested to know if you heard this. So Oakley's taken over show running um, Simpsons this in in this season, season seven. He's, this is what he said: Our goal when we took over was to copy season three. Season three of The Simpsons, which we didn't work on, by the way, was the best season of any TV show of all time. Wow. When we took over, we said, what was it about season three that made it so good? We reverse engineered it and said, well, a lot of these stories were pretty grounded, but they took a couple of crazy leaps out into space with like Homer the Bat. They did seven Homer episodes, three Lisa episodes, a sideshow Bob and Itchy and Scratchy. So we did exactly the same thing. Now, as far as the Selma episode, 
There was an episode in season three where she was going to marry Sideshow Bob. That was a good episode. So that's that's really cool. I didn't know that. So they've just watched earlier episodes, even the structure. Yes. Which is like that couldn't like they've taken things even that surely were not part of the reason. The reason that season was so great wasn't because there was exactly seven yeah, sure Homer they episodes. They didn't sit down and be like, all right, we're going to have seven Homer episodes, one about Lisa, <laughs> two about Marge, five Barts. Like that, they probably would have been like, who's got a good idea? Yeah. Okay, this one centers around Homer. That sounds really funny. Let's do that. But I, I think it's fun. I mean, especially seeing as it, it was another really good season, yep. season seven. So Should they do that again? Is that what you're saying? Should they go back to the seven, seven Homers, one Sideshow Bob, Take the wrong lessons out of <laughs> out of history, historical successes. That's what I always say. Okay, I've always said that. You know, like um, when uh, the Allies won World War Two, I was like, "That's why I'm always wearing army green, baby." <laughs> Winners wear green. Yeah. There must be some correlation here. And th- this is another thing they were saying. Um, so Weinstein, uh, the uh, the co-runner, saying how everyone at the time. Uh, love Phil Hartman. Obviously, he passed away quite a few years ago now, but, but they and they still do love him. I'm not saying they don't love him now, yeah, but yeah, he's for died. sure, for sure. And his other character, um, Lionel Hutz, is my favorite of all time. So good, so funny. What color tie am I wearing? <laughs> You'll be very surprised. <laughs> I watched that very recently. It's so so good. Um, but he was saying so they were just trying to figure out a way to get him in. They were saying he's so funny, so kind, so charming. They wanted to do more with him. He was only ever doing these little cameos with the Troy McClure character. You know, you might not like on these educational videos and that sort of stuff. And they're like, how do we how do we do this? So they said, and this is him quoting, this is our Troy McClure episode. And he said he'd never actually met the Simpsons at this point, which is what I said. And he goes, that's why we gave him the Chemisphere House, which is based on a real house. Yeah, for sure. It's like a modern house. Right. Like a futuristic. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But like now, very dated house. And so, in in the logic behind that was to go. The reason he's never come into contact with him is because he's sort of in the Hollywood section of Springfield. Sure, he's in the Hollywood Hills. But yeah, I love that line. Someone when she went into that house, she's like, "Wow, it's like the future, the very <laughs> near future." <laughs> you were saying um, before we started recording, Dave, you're trying to find track down more info about the writer of this episode? Yeah, for sure. So I didn't realize this, but I you know, knew we were going to talk about this show. So I looked it up and the writer, so I think the way the Sim- Simpsons structured, most episodes would have like a main writer and then they take the episode in and then the team of writers would be like, oh, you could put in this great reference here because, you know, they obviously were this Rolodex of amazing pop culture references. They must have seen everything up until, the, you know, this no- mid-90s point. But um, and there's often writers you you recognise them like Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, the showrunners of the show, had previously written episodes, so I recognise their names when they come up. But this one, Jack Bath, hadn't recognised it. He didn't even have a, an entry on Wikipedia, which I thought was quite surprising. Yeah, for a writer of an iconic Simpsons. Episode. Yeah, 
which did we we saw that some um, Entertainment Weekly put as the eighth best episode ever. Yes. So it's obviously a pretty iconic episode. Then I looked him up. This was the only on IMDb the only episode he's he ever wrote. So he wrote one, and he uh, hasn't done that much else since. A little bit of producing on a couple of shows I hadn't heard of, and the odd thing here and there. But imagine that writing such a classic episode. Well, Weinstein explains a little bit um, how this came about uh, in the, in this interview on Voltry. Says uh, there's a rule, and I, I don't know if this is like a a write like a writing association of America, or whatever the, the guild, right, yep, yep. the writers guild rule or what but he said there's a rule that you give two episodes every season to outside freelancers jack bath who is credited as the writer is an excellent writer and he's one of our friends but it's tricky you have to get them up to speed and there's always a day where you walk them through everything going on in the show at that point oh for sure because everyone else is living in that season so they're like what do you mean Krusty died two episodes ago but it turned out he faked his own death like but i want to write an episode about Krusty. like that'd be super weird exactly Oh, and I don't think they worry about those rules as much anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything sure. goes now. But but he said, uh, but but then it's like he's a regular writer and you pitch out the story together, then they write the draft. So they have to bring him in and educate him first. And it's an in- it's interesting that it is a rule. I wonder why, why that would Why they come. brought the two. It would make, there'd be yeah. some reason for that. And if it is a writer's guild thing, maybe it is something like to make sure people are getting opportunities or. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. But interestingly, the, uh, they said the musical wasn't even in the first draft. The iconic. Oh, moment. right. Yeah. The bit we all remember from that episode. They needed a reason for Troy to have a big comeback, but they weren't sure what it was going to be. I think, will it be a movie or a TV show or whatever? And then apparently, they, Weinstein thinks Steve Tompkins, who was the supervising producer, had the original concept of Planet of the Apes as a musical. And then Oakley, I love this because normally in hit, when people are writing history, it's all like, yeah, I think I was a part of that conversation and stuff like people even sure. will believe that put themselves into it but Oakley says I was out of the room and I came back and the whole thing had been written <laughs> I can recall a rare sense of electricity I wasn't gone for more than a few hours I was in editing on another episode and when I came back this whole thing had been concocted and there was a whole room filled with breathless writers going you gotta hear this you gotta hear this people don't usually do that because there are so many great little tidbits that everyone was quoting I recall being bombarded with enthusiastic pictures that were all hilarious I didn't have to approve anything. It was already in the script, thanks to Josh. I was like, this is great, and I should be out of the room far more often. (laughs) (laughs) One, uh, I think maybe the most iconic thing about the musical itself is probably the Dr. Zayas to the tune of Rock Me Amadeus. By Falco. Do you, do you know anything about Falco? I, I know the name and that's that's about it. So I know that he's um he's Austrian. He was Austrian. So I knew a little bit about him. Once I used to do a, I still do my um, blind dating show at the comedy festival and I get people to pick their guilty pleasure song to play. So what it is, it's three comedians blindly dating through a curtain, a, uh, a single person from the audience. And I get the three comedians to play their guilty pleasure song to see who who they're most on the same wavelength as the contestant from the audience and they, they pick their favourite song. And uh, Cam Knight, great Sydney stand-up comedian, brought in Falco, Rock Me Amadeus. <laughs> and ever since then, it's been on my uh, been on my Spotify playlists. Uh, so I knew a bit about it from there because I got into a, you know, a wiki hole when um, he submitted that a couple of years ago. But uh, it says here, if wiki is to be believed, he is the uh, best-selling Austrian singer of all time. Wow. Yeah, sold 20 million albums and 40 million singles. And I remember this, but he'd... Um, 20 million albums. Albums, I know. That'd be it. That's up there with some big-time artists, I would have thought. Yeah, pre- pretty amazing. He had uh, a lot of success, especially in Europe. Rock Me Amadeus was his big 
big song around the world. Yeah. And then um, he sort of dropped off into obscurity a bit and he was apparently planning a comeback when uh, at the age of 40, he was in the uh, Dominican Republic driving around and um, his Mitsubishi Pajero collided with a bus and uh, he died. He'd been, uh, and it says he was under the influence of alcohol and cocaine. Oh no. So I think he had a pretty, he had a pretty wild life. I think he, um, how he was 40. I think Amadeus himself died in about, th- I think he was about 35. Really? Yeah. Pretty sure he died. Yeah. Mid thirties. That is depressing for how much he achieved in his life. Yeah. Let's look him up. Wolfgang Amadeus. 35. Congratulations on knowing that. Yeah. Which is wild, right? That is. It's only two years older than Jesus. I mean, Jesus got a lot done then as well. But yeah, 35, it's funny that 35 is super young, but it's, and then you think, well, the 27 club, holy shit. Yeah, the stuff they achieve is amazing. I think Mozart did, he was a real young prodigy. Oh, I think he'd written proper, yeah, proper music, you know, concertos and stuff by the age of five or something, which is just outrageous. And he's the kind of person that could hear like a whole opera and then write it, hear it once and then write out what he'd heard, which right. is just annoying. <laughs> Too much talent. Yes, just like us. I feel I see so much of us in them. Yes, I feel more more in Falco than in Wolfgang. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No offense. No offense. No offense, Falco. Oh, Falco. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you were saying no. No offense, no offense Mozart, but um, yeah. I know you probably want us, us to see us in you. I know, but we've gone with the Austria's best-selling singer of all time. So this is more of an example of what I was I was saying about what Oakley didn't do. This, Weinstein uh, does it a little bit differently. He goes, between uh, the three of us, he's talking about him, Paul Sims uh, and Bill Oakley. Uh, he goes, the three of us were constantly saying things like, Thank you, Armadeus. After we came up with the idea of Planet of the Apes musical, I said randomly, thank you, Dr. Zayas. Maybe somebody else may have said it. So I don't want to full claim full credit for it, <laughs> but somebody said it, like the Rock Me Armadeus song, and then it clicked in and people started pitching lyrics. I think he probably realised halfway through, he's like, did I say it? Did I? Someone said it. Or, or Someone's going to call me out for this. Yeah, it's either that or he halfway through, he's like, oh, wait, you're recording this for something aren't you yeah totally <laughs> i'm not just impressing someone at a bar <laughs> yeah yeah. anyway yeah. so Hang i on. said the other people in the room that day may read this <laughs> yeah but i think that uh, cohen um david x cohen who's the co-creator of futurama yes which is i think i like even more than the simpsons really i think so yes so the one of the classic lines which are using the intro to this show chimpan a to chimpanzee even though they say it a bit wrong in america um so there's one scene he goes i know david cohen david x cohen had one of the best simpsons lines ever went which is i hate every ape i see from chimpan a to chimpanzee i hate every ape i see from chimpan a to chimpanzee and cohen says no doubt i was going through the different types of apes in my mind trying to think of a funny rhyming lyric Probably I gave up on orangutan and moved on. I certainly did not pitch it thinking it was a high point in the development of the human or ape culture. My recollection is I thought it was pretty good and had a decent chance of going into the script, but wasn't a sure thing. Really? Yeah, it feels like the kind of line where you'd be like... That's in. That's in. That That is sick. Like, there's not many... Pla- like, you could say that... It's It's funny how you can build a context where a joke like that is brilliant but if you said that you know like as a quip somewhere it's still it's still like fun and clever but it's quite lame but yeah, because for it, sure. yep. it's in this world where it is it's a musical it's a, parody it's a musical, musical. Yeah. yeah it's like so good chimpanzee to chimpanzee love it so much anyway i feel like 
this this could just become um, me scrolling through um, great quotes from the creators. But or, they are great, great, great or, creators. Or I want to pose a few big questions to you, Dave. All right, hit me. I did this one uh, with Alistair on uh, talking about the Friends, but I'd love you to recast this Simpsons family unit using different species of primates. Oh, okay. Simulators. Putting you on the spot, but that's how we do it here at Primates Podcast. All righty. It's what we're famous for. All right, well, I'll put, put Maggie as a lemur. Lemur, good call. Yeah, always up and about, especially that episode where um, Lisa's babysitting and she uh, has coffee ice cream and just it's like she just can't grab onto her. And then... Bart's just fucking around. Okay, so that's Maggie. Uh, Homer's got to be some sort of gorilla. Yeah. It's a big guy. I mean, they often like, he's often cast as a gorilla in pop culture. Like, he plays King Kong and yes. some of the Halloween episodes. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just, in my mind, every time I think of an episode, I just, I just get a line. Mr. Burns, when um, he's trying to capture King Kong, who's Homer, <laughs> he's like, he throws a gas grenade. And he just is such a bad throw that it goes about. One yeah. foot away from him. I was strolling through the gas one day. <laughs> I love that. Okay, um, let's think about this. What would Lisa be? Lisa would have to be a chimpanzee. Very, very clever. The sm- yeah, the smartest, I think, of all primates yeah. outside of humans. Very, but, you very know, clever. Humans aren't always that smart, am I right? No. Sometimes they do pretty silly yeah, things. Look, when, I was, when I was looking up um, pr- uh, pr- examples of the primates, because, you know, there's so many out there. Yeah. Hundreds of them and of different species. And I found a, an article that ranked them from, um, you know. Chimpanzee. Chimpanzee. No, by population. Right. And I was like, oh, I wonder what the most common one is. Of course, it's fucking humans are there. Seven billion of them. Um, Damn, I like how you, you uh, discounted yourself yeah. from that. I'm not in the set. I'm seven billion and one. Right. You're two. Thank you. Okay. Um, Marge, tall, thin, a little bit neurotic. What do you reckon? Can I uh, ask you to help me out here with your primate knowledge? So if you're going on tall and tall and uh, but the the blue, you've got the um, the beautiful markings of the mandrill. It's got the blue. Oh yeah, the face, blue. Okay, face, yes, no, that's facial good. features and quite a big. Yes. So, in comparison to say the children who are a bit smaller, chimpanzees a bit mm, smaller. Exactly. Matt, what if I could recast Bart as lemur because he's very naughty and out there, and I could make Maggie a spider monkey. Spider monkey, great choice. Very, very small and but still nimble. Have you? Have, what did you lock in something for Homer? Was he Homer's just a gorilla? Gorilla. Silverback. Silverback. Yeah. yeah. And that leaves. Oh no, Lisa's a chimp. Lisa's just the chimp. You and, knocked um, him out. Grandpa is just a really, really old baboon king. Baboon king, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the baboon king. Yeah. We normally, so to sum up what we've experienced with the primate that we've got to know in the episode, um, in this case, there's quite a few. We talk about how they came up with them. In the past episodes, it's been, usually it's been actually quite a few of them have been actual, um, the animals themselves as actors with some great performances. Oh, of course. In this case, I guess it's a cartoon man. In a cartoon suit. and there's, How did they come up with that? I don't, I don't know. This is the first one we've had of this kind. Okay, yeah. right. So we're breaking new ground. I like this. What we try to do as a percentage. So as a percentage, chimps and humans share 98%, something like 98% of the DNA we share, right? Now, the primates we watched on screen today, how much DNA do you feel you share with them personally oh. in common? We're not talking about physical necessarily. It's like the whole vibe. Okay, well, they can talk, I can talk. Yes. They can sing, I can sing. So there's a little bit familiar. Yeah. Can play the piano. Couldn't before. Right. They can. Well, right. 
so far you're spot on. But I mean, you are a lot of this. You are that is um, Troy McClure's human character, human character, who is also a primate. That's right. Thank you. But the, the um, said so the apes from the Planet of the Apes part of the musical. Yeah. Dr. Sayce, who doesn't say a lot, really. No. People sing around him. There's some break dancing nearby. He does him. give his uh, opinion. You're crazy. I want a second opinion. Well, you're also lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think that I've, I'd share quite a lot in common. And, and obviously it would be very terrifying at first to wake up in this planet of the apes. Yes. But in time, if they could accept me, I feel I could accept them. Yeah. Because we've so, got enough in common. One, one. Uh, so give me a number. 99. 99. Bloody hell. Even more in common with chimps. That's that's the most in common we've had, I think, so far. Oh, really? I'm going to say I probably... Can you go below 98 if you if we statistically... Yeah, you can. It's any number. This is a whole different um, kettle of chimp. Okay, right. Well, still, I want to be at the top of your graph. 99. Yeah, you're right up on the top of the I mean, they wear clothes. I wear clothes. Yeah, in so many ways. Fashionable. I'm fashionable. You like The Simpsons? They're in The Simpsons? Yes, I'd have so many questions for them. What was it like working with Bill Oakley? The he great Bill the Oakley, guy I hadn't heard of until today. <laughs> no, they're all names that pop up at the start of the episodes, and I'm like, oh, Mike Scully. Yeah. It is funny that they're real people. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> there just... is one writer who's written more episodes than any other writer individually. Right. Can't remember their name. Apologize for that. But they've written something like 200 episodes or something. Right. Crazy. From the glory days till now? Uh, until very recently. Anyway, I'm not 100% sure they're still. And they had a hand in the movie as well, but some fans speculate. That they don't exist because there's, they they shun the limelight. There's no photos of this person, right? So people think that they may be like an amalgam of amalgamation of several, right? Sort of like a yeah, like a I'm trying to think of another example of that. But all the ones I was thinking of were just a bit, like alter a, egos of the, one person, or like the Alan Smithy. Yes, Alan Smithy. That's a, sometimes directors release films under the it says directed by Alan Smithy if they want to distance themselves from the film, right? Which is very fun. John Schwartzwelder. That's him? Yes. Yeah, and there's just speculation. Does it say how many episodes he's written now? 59 full episodes with contributions to several others. There you go, amazing. I said 200. I exaggerate. Yeah. How 59, many... that's like th- three seasons. Chunk. It's just one man. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You'd love to, and I think some of them are, gr- like he, there's I've lot... seen documentaries where they talk about it. Maybe they're all in on the joke, but they talk about him like when he spoke, everyone listened. He always had the funniest line in the room and stuff yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, maybe they are. Perpetuating that joke, which is pretty fun if that is what they're doing. Uh, I reckon I'd say I'd say lower than that. Oh, your um, percentage? Yeah, I'd say I'm probably more like with Doctor Zayas because I th- I just think he's a real stick in the mud. Oh, okay. And I'm a fun time guy, so I'm going right. to say sixty seven percent. Right. Okay. Because I also do think um, the Troy McClure character was lazy. Oh, so you agree? With so with I had that. that in common. But you don't him. think he's crazy? Well. Jury's out on that. I mean, I'd, I need to ask more questions. But yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's a small segment of the show. Getting, yeah, his Troy McClure himself, I think, is, you know, anyway. What about, um? you say they're sticking the mud. I mean, they do break dance. They do, yeah. So I, I was really honing on on Zayas. On Zayas, gotcha. But you were talking about that sort of future musical species of, yeah. of humanoid apes on <laughs> the planet <laughs> of the apes. <laughs> Here's another question, Dave, maybe as, as we're sort of um, moving towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. If you could stop the planet of the apes, would you get off? Oh, if I could get off the planet, yeah. Would I get off and die? No. Would you? Would you get off and you know step off? You're like, I've had enough here. I want to go back to back to my normal planet. Yeah. Yes. 
Interesting. The answer is yes. 99% yes. Wow. 1%. So one in 100 lifetimes, you'd stay. I'd stay. What about you? I'd probably... One in 100 lifetimes and fall, fall madly in love with one of the apes and start a new life and family. Yeah. I think I'd stay. Same like fun. You can play piano there. Yeah, that, that is good. And I can't now. And you couldn't which before. Is before. Um, we also do a segment on, on this show, Dave, as you'll know, as a, you know, one of our most dedicated listeners. I've listened to every episode so far. Of course you My favourite was last week's. Well, thank you very much. That was a, one of my favourites too. Um, I, 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 uh, we have a segment called, um, uh, Primate Ma- uh, Sporting Mascot, Cots. Yes, of course. It's I got mean, a catchy name. Usually it, it, you it pronounce it better on previous weeks. Yeah. Well, I think I, I mean, I don't know if that's the name as yet. I, I like to wear, work in a show over a series of months before I really get settled. Okay, great. And these are only early days at this stage. Uh, but this this is an iconic mascot. When I thought of this segment, this is the one I was thinking of. Right, and so do you have many up your sleeve? Or are we going to get to week 11 and you're struggling? I it Really, there aren't as many primate sporting mascots as I thought. Okay. There are more birds, way more big cats. But Have you I, thought about changing it to a bird? podcast well i'm thinking about the mascot thing i might just go to wacky mascots okay yeah that's cool once the well is dry um someone sent me a a tweet to a team who are called the tacos that's great what are they from i think they're a baseball team from fresno or something like that (laughs) but i'm like that my ears are pricking up um but this week we're talking about the fitzroy football club in the afl a now defunct team well not a defunct team they've they're over um, they've merged uh, the Brisbane Bears and become the Brisbane Lions. Because they were the Fitzroy Lions. They were the Lions. Fitzroy That's Lions. Like, I've only even known them as the Fitzroy Lions. Well, from 1957, they were the Fitzroy Lions. But from 1938 to 1956, they were the Fitzroy Gorillas. Really? Yeah. I have no idea. Before that, they were the Maroons or the Maroons. How would you say that? I say Maroons. Yeah, Maroons. But That's I know I some people say, say Maroon, I think. According to the FitzroyFC.com.au website, after many years of being called the Maroons, they wanted a more aggressive mascot and decided on the suggestion of a certain Dr. Cecil Raphael. I like how they said, of a certain. Yeah, like that's meant to mean anything. Because there's many of them. Is that a person? I guess so. Cecil Raphael. Look, I, I've extrapolated Cecil. It actually just says Dr. Keck Raphael, C-E-C. Oh. My brain autocorrected that anyway, Cecil. Cecil Raphael. I hope that's their name because that's one of the best. That's really good. Um, but, yeah, he was the one who got them to change it to the gorillas in, in uh, 1938. And then they... Was they had that for about less than 20 years and then they changed? Yeah. they Yeah, they changed. Well, yeah, about 18 years later they changed it to the lions, which is another big fierce animal, I suppose. Sure. It's amazing that the lion wasn't taken because usually you think, Animals. You're going to list five animals as mascots. Lion's going to come up really yes. early on. No but one else to chuck under? They, they were interesting in the, the beginning of the VFL, which is what became the AFL eventually. There were A lot of the teams had different names. I, I, some of them didn't have any, and it took quite a while for um, them to even take on names. It was a, it's well, sort of a, more of a be- modern thing. Happy being, we're just Collingwood, whatever. Well, yeah, and for quite a while, you know, Fitzroy were the colour, the maroons, you know, so... I mean, Car- Carlton are still the blues. Yeah, they've just like, tried to... What even is that? They tried to draw a, a mascot for it, like a physical man. Yeah, the blue boys. Yeah. yeah a blue man with um, some sort of... Does he have like a... Yeah, like it's a sort little of like the Flash. Attempted sort of superhero thing. On his side yeah. of his head, yeah. He does flips and stuff at the games. 
But they Fitzroy, they started off so well. They had a great early history, um, but they their last ever premiership in the VFL AFL was in 1944. But that was as the Gorillas, which I I didn't realize until I looked this up just before. All oh, right, so the Lions never won. Lions did not won one win one as the Fitzroy Lions. They won. They've won three as the Brisbane Lions. Right there, you go. Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? Or is it? No, that is interesting. So, does it say why they changed from gorilla to lion? Uh, it doesn't say so. Is that Dr. Cecil Raphael sort of saying, actually, I've just discovered that there's another more fierce animal? Yes. It's called a lion. Yeah, people are calling them man eaters. Wow. I've never seen a gorilla eat a man. But I haven't been paying much attention. <laughs> yeah. So, there's a. You showed me a picture there of the gorilla. It's a very scary gorilla. Yeah, it's fierce. It almost it looks, looks like a skull. Yeah. Almost like an abominable snowman sort of look. Yeah. Fierce. That's terrifying. Yeah. I, I think Cecil I, wasn't wrong. Well, clearly, but I I prefer the gorillas as a thing, as a name. Yeah, gorillas great. is a great Fitzroy gorillas. Really good. Well, Dave, thanks so much for coming in. Hey, thank you so much for having me on Primates. Primates, what a fun time it's been. It's always good to catch up and chat with you. Um, where can people find you uh, outside of this here podcast? Well, they can find it. Find us on our other podcast, Do Go On. Always yes. happy to have people tune into that. You can and find that at uh, dogoonpod.com. That's right. Or probably wherever you downloaded this podcast. Yeah, that's I true. I assume. Yeah, that's and, true. And uh, you can find me at, at Dave Warnicky on uh, Twitter and davewarnicky.com for all your Dave Warnicky needs. So jealous of your first name, last name combination It's abilities. very lucky that there's rarely, there's not many Dave Warnickys. So, so many Warnickies in Australia. So many Matt Stewarts. Uh, you can find me, if you want to, on Twitter at uh, MattStew underscore art. Ooh. And I got that pretty early. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder what else I could have got. Do I, you know who at Matt Stewart is? Do they use the – because the annoying thing is when people discover that they haven't tweeted since 2011 and they did 13 tweets. I think it, I think it is some that sort of scenario. And there's no way of contacting them because if you direct message the page, they don't use that account yeah, anymore. Exactly. So it's just there forever. Yeah, you should be able to go like go to Twitter, use it or lose it. Sort yeah, of thing. hey, they haven't used You've got to tweet once a year. That's right. If you, haven't, if you haven't tweeted in two years. Even yeah. read. Tweet and then they just do these annoying retweets at the first of January every, <laughs> every year. year. It's always the same thing. Just sucked in <laughs> Matt Stewart's everywhere. Yeah, so you can find me there on Instagram at Matt Stewart Comedy and also on Facebook at Matt Stewart Comedy. If you have any ideas for the show, if you want to hear about any movies or anything in particular, please let me know or any other maybe segment ideas you might think would work into the primates idea, podcast idea, then buddy, hit me up. Thanks so much for coming in, Dave. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Bye, primates. Laters. podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. I love you, Dr. Zayas! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 